The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Make sure to check out Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets online, hoop-ball.com. You really want to make sure you do that. We got our 2021-2022 NBA draft guide coming out. Great sports writing if you're just into that. If you're into fantasy, that's pretty much what you're there for, and that's all the way good there as well. So definitely make sure to check that out as well as the podcast and content that keeps coming. Fantasy NBA today, fantasy NFL today, all of it's out there. Uh, and if you're into that, like, listen, you're trying to get ahead, you're trying to get an edge, you really want to look into it. So hoop-ball.com online on Twitter at hoopballtweets. Uh, for myself, just a little self-plugging before we really get going, I've had the pleasure of being on two pods this past week already. Um, one was with the talented folks, the Upside Swings podcast, just talking about some of, you know, what we're going to talk about today with my special guest. I'm about to get to in a second um, in terms of Summer League and what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like. Great conversation. Uh, got to plug Tariq Black, Laker legend, always a good time. So definitely check that out. And also my good friend, co-host of the Duncan Dynasty podcast, Garrett Bouguet, we came on, did like a brief, you know, recap of the summer, as well as a little talk of Russell Westbrook, my guy, as y'all know, uh, the first of many discussions on him. So definitely make sure to check that out. Upside Swings podcast, as well as the Duncan Dynasty pod. All right. Housekeeping out the way. We got to talk about this pod. And today I have a guest, fellow SBC alum, good buddy, good buddy of mine. We actually... Oh, we had a lot of fun. Um, let me just bring him in so we can start talking to himself. You can find him on Twitter at Watel Watel W A T T E L, and then again W A T T E L. His name is Ryan Watel. Ryan, what is good, bro? What's up, brother? Yeah, so me and Corbin known each other for about a year now, but yep. finally got the opportunity to meet him at Sports Business Classroom last week in Vegas. <laughs> and for me, for me, I would have to say that summer league is one of my favorite times of the year. Not only is the whole NBA world in Vegas with their guard down, just chilling and watching some hoops, but it's it's guys fighting for their livelihood, you know. And it's mm-hmm. it's not just the players. There's there's players that putting their lines out there trying trying to get a job, tr- whether that's here overseas for the team they're playing for or a different team, but also the coaches, the referees, and guys like us trying to get into the front office. It's an audition for everyone. And just the vibes and the atmosphere there is like nothing else that the NBA really has to offer. And I'm excited to dive into it with you today, Corbin. Hey, man, I'm pumped. Like you said, it, it's no, I was looking at Twitter. I was like, yeah, man, we've communicated. We've been, like I said, a year, which is, which is hilarious and cool. It made this even so much more dope to be on the same squad, have as much success as we did, to be able to experience Summer League together this past year hopefully do it again this upcoming year. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. But let me get your thoughts on that. I mean, first on SBC Sports Business Classroom, um, I explained that it was just a tremendous learning experience for me. I met a lot of people like yourself, just a lot of dope folks. And I think that really made the experience for me. But on top of that, from your perspective, what did you like first about um, SBC? And then let's kind of transition to Summer League and what we were enjoying watching. Yeah, man, as far as sports business classroom goes, those guys really know what they're doing and putting on a little boot camp for everyone that's trying to make it into the league. Yeah, um, Just an amazing experience to just be kind of plopped into the NBA world for a week out of nowhere. Um, and I liked how Larry, Larry Kuhn talked about self-selection. Uh, I mean, anyone choosing to go through, what, six, 13-hour days mm-hmm. of learning the intricacies of the NBA, the salary cap, the CBA, all that good stuff. Those are the kind of people that I want to be around. So to me, it's worth it just on that alone to be around a, around a group of like-minded go-getters like me, and I'll forever be connected to them in that way. And another thing that stood out to me was how many adults and people with already set careers were there trying to switch over to the NBA world. Because at the end of the day, it's just people investing in themselves for nothing other than the love of the game, and they feel like if they're working with the NBA, getting paid to watch basketball, they're going to be happier than with their current job. So to see people trying to cross over in that way or people like us who are still on the younger side just trying to break in 
uh, it was just a really great atmosphere for us all to be together and really help each other out and build each other up. Oh, 100%, man. I'm all the way with you on that. I had uh, just the most, oh, just the most tremendous time. Um, like you said, all of us are trying to get there. We're all on our grind. We're all doing the best we can to make the most of it. And it's a competitive atmosphere, but it's also in that same token, a supportive one as well. You know, we're all trying to uh, help each other to succeed um, and, and, and bring out the best in each other. Even if we're not like directly like, hey, you know, I want you to do good, of which there was plenty of that in the program, but also just like, okay, I see you grinding. I see, you know, Ryan doing absolute most of negotiations, putting together PowerPoints. And, you know, I got to do right by him and do the absolute best in my presentation, whatever the case may be. And just having that team atmosphere, it was an absolute blast. I had just a, a heck of a time uh, and really enjoyed it, man. Although I'm still like recovering. I'm sure you are as well. Uh, just from the whirlwind week that it was. And then just before you know it, back in the fold and back to work. <laughs> Yeah, there was not not a lot of sleep going on that week, but uh, that that's for after to catch up on. We we had busier things to do that week. You said it most certainly, sir. And I think we're we're getting on the right track now of trying to make it uh trying to make the most of it. So with that being said, let's kind of go into summer league. We did get the chance to watch a few games, um, pretty much every night. You know, during the evening slate of games, and I'm sure in the couple of days since then, uh, you and I have both had a chance to kind of go back and watch some games and you know kind of catch up on some things. So. I think we should take turns, you know, throw back a couple four for names and who we liked and who we didn't like. Uh, as the guest, you got to start first, sir. This, them's the rules. I don't make them. Well, I guess I did, but whatever. Um, anyways, uh, name a guy that you really enjoyed watching this summer league. All right, man. I'm happy to follow your rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we start going into the nitty-gritty of who looked good and who did it, I think it's just remember, it is summer league at the end of the day, so take everything with a grain of salt. It's exciting to – start seeing these guys for the first time in a new setting. But there are guys that are built for that setting, and there's guys that are going to be more translatable skills to the NBA. So that's always important to remember. Um, I like what Seth Partnow said to me. He said, it's kind of hard to tell with rookies, but if second-year guys don't look good, that's a bad sign. So that's one of the biggest things that you could take as concrete with Summer League. Um, some guys that might fall into that bucket – I would have liked to see a little bit more from second-year guys Cole Anthony and Killian Hayes. Those yeah. are guys I was kind of looking to see if they would be able to take a step forward, show some growth from last year. I didn't see a whole lot of that. Those guys are still young. They got time, but I was a little bit disappointed in those performances. But let's let's go to a guy that I was impressed with. Um, one of my favorite archetypes to look for at Summer League is players with maybe a limited role in the NBA – but in summer league, they're given the keys, get to show some of their ball skills and show what they can do with a little bit more of an opportunity with the ball in their hands. Mm -hmm. For me, a guy that stood out there was Desmond Bain, for sure. They, they shut him down a little bit early, but it was good to see him looking a little bit more like his TCU days, being confident with the ball. He averaged four assists a game, which, was, which really stood out to me, and also shot above 50% on threes. He just looked comfortable handling the ball. And for a guy that was really – told to mostly go stand in the corner last year in Memphis, that was something that really stood out to me. I like that. I like that. That's solid. I mean, I got to start. You mentioned some guys you wanted to kind of see improve a little better. I have the same. Um, well, just one, Obi Toppin. I think that he's someone that um, I don't know. Like, he played very much the same way he did last year, but, like, I didn't see much improvement on the defensive end. He was still kind of loosey-goosey, didn't really get in the stance. He kind of lost as far as where to go and what to do. Offensively, you know, kind of inconsistent. Um, definitely showed the same flash of athleticism and, and, and the semblance of a three-point stroke that we were kind of um, intrigued by to begin with. But by that same token, um, it, it came and went. It wasn't consistent, and he didn't quite stand out as the guy who – you know, you expect to see from second, third year players where they should, at least in your own estimation, you know, prove that they are kind of too good for that element. Yeah, exactly. Those second year guys should be looking like they're too good for summer league. That that should be the goal coming in. But it's also important to remember that these guys were robbed their rookie season of summer league. So these second year guys, it actually was their first experience of summer league action. And you're right. And that's important to take into consideration as well. So hundred percent on that. But as far as a, another player, and I, I really enjoyed watching um, Alperin Sangoon, man. What did you think about him? He was, I, I like him. Like he definitely the smaller dude and you see a lot more on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but offensively for being six, nine and really looking like six, eight, like 
his touch around the basket, the way he was able to get into his post-up game, the jump shot he flashed, you know, from mid-range and a three-point line, very impressive to me. Oh, yeah, man. I'd say his size is almost one of the only concerns right now. If this guy was seven foot seven one, people would be going crazy about him being one of the next great centers, I think. And his defense could be a concern because he's undersized, but he did show some really good flashes of verticality at the rim. He was able to use his tools in that way to protect the rim. And I would say just the Rockets in general, what a draft they came around with. And the first round alone, they came around with Josh Green, Josh Christopher, Garuba, and Sengu. I mean, obviously, it's wow. gonna, or Jalen Green, excuse me. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to depend on how Jalen Green turns out, how that draft turns out for them. But, I mean, that is four guys that you could argue could be lottery picks that they got all in one draft. Oh, 100%. And, and, and the fact that they're such a young team and they're beginning to find their core, it, it makes it even more exciting because they, they can still continue to grow. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And they'll all be I mean, able not to they can, this. but this team, I mean, my fault, rather. <laughs> yeah, and these guys are definitely going to be able to explore the studio space next year go. in Houston. I mean, Eric Gordon will probably get shut down a few weeks in if he's not traded. And John Wall, we all know that he struggles to stay on the court. So these guys should have no problem getting playing time and get able to develop their reps in the Houston situation. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, in fact... I was in love with pretty much everyone on Houston side. Josh Christopher, I'm doing a little bit of a, a deep dive into his game now. Um, he definitely has no conscience when he rises to shoot, that's for sure. Um, but in, in general, he was someone who gets after it occasionally on defense. Definitely the no conscience when he gets hot is fine on the offensive side. Jalen Green is going to be just an amazing scorer, yo. Like, 100% on ball, off ball, it's not going to matter. This guy's going to get buckets, and I'm excited to see how he grows there. Yeah, this Houston team as a whole, I'm going to put them as, as as players to watch. Yeah, man, and with Josh Christopher, too, like a lot of times with those bucket getter type archetypes, you don't see the same kind of effort on the defensive side of the ball, but you can't say that with him. He was at least playing his butt off on both sides and working hard on the defensive end, even if that's not necessarily his strong suit at this point in his career. Exactly, exactly. Any other guys you want to show some love to? Uh, yeah, I got a couple here. Uh, I also wanted to touch on both of the Knicks rookies, uh, Deuce McBride and Quentin Grimes. Okay. I think those are definitely Thibodeau-type players. They're strong and going to bring it on the defensive end, especially McBride coming from that West Virginia system. But they both also showed a really good ability to shoot it. And if R.J. Barrett is able to become more of a playmaker down the line and stays in that shooting guard spot down the line once they have <laughs> – their roster more figured out. I could see either of those guys being a perfect fit at the one to be able to guard point guards, guard the best guard on the other team and spread the floor and be able to shoot it around Randall and Barrett and those other guys that are going to be dominating the ball more. Okay. So you see a chance for them to make more of an immediate impact in addition to growing. I'd say maybe not this year, just because they already have that point guard depth and quickly yeah. Rose and Kemba. Mm-hmm. But down the line, if they see Barrett as a franchise guy, which hopefully they do since he was third pick in the draft just two years ago, then I could see those guys being perfect backcourt partners for him fit-wise for sure. Okay, no, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's, that is the goal, um, to kind of see how those guys shake out for sure. But, um, yeah, okay, I, I, I like those. I, I guess um, the next guy I would have to nominate that I thought was really interesting, uh, Moses Moody. Moses Moody, yep, I think, I, huh? You have him too? Yeah, I was just going to say that we should Oh, go in. Yeah, man, lead guys. the way. Yeah, so Kaminga at seven, I think, was a good upside play for sure. I was a little surprised that they went that route since they are trying to win a championship this season. Mm-hmm. But I do think that getting Moody at 14, he's someone that maybe will be able to plug and play right away as a role player 3 and D type. And then Kaminga, they can kind of let sit on the bench, go to the G League, develop more there, and then in a few years he'll be ready to step in. But Moody, I, I, I see his skill set as translatable right away. Even for a contender at only 19 years old, I could see him cracking the rotation in that backup wing spot. Do you think he'll be able to squeeze in there? Um, I feel I, I feel like it's similar to maybe not as immediate. I think he's going to have his moments. He might have the opportunity, but again, they have, I feel like, uh, enough guys – I mean, depending on even how you feel about Kaminga ahead of them, but also, you know, Otto Porter, um, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Clay's going to play some wing. Like, I feel like he's going to get his moments. I just don't know if they're going to be, like, consistent enough to make, like, a huge impact, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. But you can definitely see those translatable skills coming. Oh, and that's the kind of guy that they need next between Clay and Draymond in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, if, if, if not this year, and honestly, I, I might be under, I might be overvaluing Jonathan Kaminga. I mean, shout out to him from our group uh, assignment, bro. But nope. I might be actually like, I should probably flip flop the two because you can slot in Kaminga. I think can grow into so much more in terms of what, you know, he's like, he's like an open blank canvas, but Moody right now will bring you decent defense and a solid three point stroke. And right now, if you're looking for a role player to play around, you know, Steph Clay and Draymond, you're probably looking for a wing like that. So if you have someone like Andrew Wiggins, you can put someone out there like Moody to make an impact. You know what? No, I'm going to change my mind. I agree with you hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kaminga will be the better pro down the line, but just mm-hmm. with Moody's current skill set, I could see him being able to crack a championship caliber rotation already, which is not easy to say about most rookies. No, no, it really isn't. No, you, you make an excellent point for sure. And uh, two other guys I'd like to touch on, maybe maybe getting on a little bit of the negative side here. Okay. They both played great. Davion Mitchell and Chris Duarte. They both played great, but mm-hmm. I just want to temper people's expectations Davion Mitchell turns 23 in two weeks. Oh, wow. Chris Duarte, I, I, yeah, Chris Duarte is already 24 years old. So, yes, they looked great. They looked like some of the best rookies from the class already. However, that should be expected of them, given how ahead of the other guys they are age-wise. Just wanted to point that out. I'm excited about those guys, too. But I expected them to have strong outings this summer league because they're already ahead of the curve age-wise. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And I'm glad you did that on purpose in order to, like, kind of settle us down. Um, only because I did not realize Davion Mitchell was that old. Uh, I knew Duarte. I mean, that's pretty much the first thing you hear about him before you even hear about how good he is of a basketball player is his age. So that's funny. I am the optimistic that because of where they are. I mean, listen, 23 is older in terms of, like, not having long-term development. But you still got seven years of them still in their 20s to contribute to a team. I think, if anything, if you're on a team, uh, I'd say maybe more Indiana than Sacramento at this time. But these guys are guys that can come in right now and immediately plug in and make an impact for a playoff hopeful team. You know, I I just am not that high on Sacramento to call them that. But uh, for those two players, especially Duarte, he did play well. Um, and it's solid. I mean, the only thing worse than being, you know, 23 and not and, 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 and having those skills, but knowing that, hey, um, you know, you don't have a, a lot of upside is not having those skills. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what do you think of the fit of Davion in Sacramento? Uh, we've been hearing that they believe he can guard some threes. He is a great defensive player. I love the intensity, but from a, what, six one six two guy, that is a lot to ask for to slide him up to small forward. What, how do you see his role being this year in Sacramento? I don't like it, to be honest with you, because it is a lot. He plays great defense, but what, six one? Like, that's 6-1. You know, expecting him to slide to the three isn't great. If you're trying to put Halliburton there, I think of the three, you know, Fox, Mitchell, and Halliburton, I feel like Halliburton's probably best suited to play three. And that's not saying that in a good way. I'm just saying, like, of those three guys, he's the one guy I guess I don't absolutely hate, although I mostly do in that position. I don't know. You know, you're not going to – if he's one of your three best players, it's going to be hard to get all three of them on the floor at the same time without you going super small if you're Sacramento. And if he's backing up, do you have him as, like, a playmaking point guard? Or is he kind of just like a like a defense-wreaking havoc kind of offensive opportunistic player? You know, where does he slot in there? I think that's a lot of questions there. Um, it, it was just such a confusing pick. I mean, and although I like the player and I like what he can be, I still do not understand – the actual potential fit there. It, 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 it flummoxed me then, and it still does now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he ends up being the best player that was available to that spot, it was a good pick regardless of the fit. But just with the age and the fit, I just wanted to temper people's expectations a little bit. And not to mention, somehow Buddy Heald still plays for the Sacramento Kings as well. Yeah, honestly, as a Lakers fan, that shouldn't be the case. We'll take Russell Westbrook. I get it, but you're right. And that's another guy. Like, are you going to have him come off the bench uh, alongside Halliburton if we're assuming healed starts? You know what I mean? Like, how I, you're right. Like, it, it, they have a congested backcourt of some guys that shouldn't be there but are still there, and some guys that are there that should probably be in a different role. And I mean, Kang's going to Kang's, right? Kang's. Yep. <laughs> Any other guys you want to shout out? Uh, I think I'll just put you on the spot real quick, if you don't mind. No problem. Been asking a couple people this. Um, some of those second-year guys that were able to get the keys this summer league, Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel Quickly. Qu- 
quickly had a couple struggling games towards the end, but overall looked pretty good. And I was pretty impressed with Maxi. So my question is that who would you rather have going forward, quickly or Maxi? I'm gonna say quickly. I'm gonna say quickly. Quickly didn't have the best summer league, but I did like his more consistent performance all season long last year. Uh, Maxi has his peaks and valleys. Uh, I still like Maxi. Um, I just don't like him as much as quickly where you know he has a, a go-to, he's a decent shooter, and he has a go-to floater that is going to work. And I think that he can grow from there. But to have the, the foundation of a solid offensive game from the jump is, is a much bigger uh, asset, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah, that, that flow game is deadly, and that's something that he'll be able to rely on going forward, even if some other stuff doesn't work out for him. And uh, before we move on from the Summer League section, just wanted to – Shout out one more guy, uh, Trey Murphy of the Pelicans. Yeah. He's a guy I actually didn't know a whole lot about coming into Summer League, um, but I learned about him real quickly. <laughs> he is the kind of guy that the Pelicans need if he hits. Um, I do like Ingram for what he is, but I feel like he's limited. I feel like they kind of need not to go back to that 3 and D thing again, but just someone in that small forward spot next to Zion who will be consistent bringing on both ends and again be able to space the floor Mm -hmm. that's the exact archetype of guys that i think that they should be going for and if they were able to trade down to 17 and still get one of the strongest players in the draft at that spot i think that was a great piece of business yeah if they are able to pull yeah i i like murphy i think that he was someone that the lakers still have their draft pick i was hoping could potentially fall down to that level so I, i think that um, you know, with his skill set, something that fits right now, team ready. It's going to be helpful for a team like the Pelicans that absolutely need – they need more players like that. Having one player like that is great, but they need more players like that. So that's something that I'm I'm happy they got on the right track, but but I think that you that, that's the position of need. At the same time, um, I'm just having his skill set. He's someone that I think can kind of, like you said, kind of explore the studio space, has good size for what he brings to the table, and I think can only develop further as a shooter and someone who's going to have a nice career in this league. Yeah, man, he was kind of coined as a 3-and-D guy coming into the draft, but I was mm-hmm. really excited with the ball skills and passing ability that he was able to show during Summer League. Oh, definitely. No, he flashed some more in, in nice ways. And that's honestly what – isn't that what Summer League's for, right? You get these guys, they come in, and they've been scouted. I think over the last two draft cycles, you probably over-scouted players, but to get the chance to kind of grow a little bit, showcase some other stuff. I mean, these guys are basketball players at the end of the day. You know, they probably have, uh, like, special skills that they – you know, have mastered whatever the case may be, but like, you know, they, they know how to play the game. They know how to play the game. That That's just, it is what it is there. And so you can get guys like that, that can come in um, and are kind of archetyped in a certain role or specialist or whatever the case may be. And you find out they have more they can bring to the table. I just, I, I love it. Yep. I think if that one hits, then it'll be, I mean, a lot of people have been sour on New Orleans off season. But if, if Trey Murphy hits, then that kind of changes the calculus. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy that you can actually slot in for sure outside of just saying, oh, you know, Zion and, and, and Brandon Ingram. You got another guy that you can say, okay, we can grow with these guys, you know? What about Devontae Graham, man? Listen, I like Devontae Graham. <laughs> big fan of his, but uh, no, I just don't see it as a long-term thing. I mean, uh, long-term in terms of his contract, yes, but like a uh, foundational piece, no. I, David Griffin, that's another story for another time. I have not liked the moves that David Griffin has made since he's been in charge of the Pelicans. Like, they've just been so, so, just such a mess. Yeah, man, it feels like they're fumbling the bag again, just like they did with the AD situation. You know, they tried to pushing chips for veterans around them too soon instead of letting them grow organically. And now they've kind of gotten themselves into a weird spot that might be tough to get out of. Exactly. Exactly. Crazy. Sad, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully we'll have a time to talk about the Pelicans, the, uh, you know, in a future show and hopefully either celebrate what they've become or continue to lament David Griffin and the way that they've mismanaged this young talent. Yep, absolutely. Are you, are you ready to move on to the Phoenix Suns? I was going to say, let's talk about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I mean, listen, we're both from the Valley, but you are way more of the diehard Phoenix Suns guy in terms of just knowing what they've been, knowing what they're about. Uh, really happy to have you on here. This is the Phoenix Suns offseason review. Uh, but before we even start with the review, uh, let, let's just end where the Phoenix Suns were. So they finished 51 and 21. They were second in the Western Conference. Um, they were fifth in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating third in net rating, one of the uh, clearly one of the best teams all season. 
Uh, beat my Lakers 4-2. Don't have to talk about that. Uh, in the first round, beat the Nuggets in a clean sweep in the second round. Beat the Clippers in the conference finals four games to two. And then won the first two games of the NBA finals against the Bucks before losing uh, in pretty sad but devastating fashion. That's just the better way of saying it. Uh, with all that being said, having you know talking to someone in yourself man who's been around the Suns, kind of seen the last what 11 long years of a playoff drought and just seeing them kind of climb back where they are now what is your personal recap of the season that was for the phoenix suns yeah man it was a crazy one it wasn't until a couple weeks ago that i really got over the loss of the bucks and was able to digest what just happened over the last eight months whatever it was um, coming into the year, I was hoping for round of five, six seed. I thought that's where they'd be at. Um, it's no question that they caught breaks in the playoffs. I mean, all three of their Western Conference wins came against teams that were hobbled. There's no doubt about that. Anthony Davis trying to give it a go in game six, couldn't do it. Uh, obviously, no Jamal Murray for the Pelicans and no Kawhi Leonard or for the Nuggets, excuse me, and no Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers. So they were able to get some good fortune in that aspect. But overall, you would still have to say it was a huge success reaching their first conference finals since the early 90s where they played Michael Jordan. (laughs) Um, What I was concerned about, I I was hoping that we would win about one round. That was what I was going for. I wanted to win the first round, maybe a tough second round exit to the Lakers or Clippers and call it a season. That's what I was hoping for. Now, do we lose to the Lakers in the first round if LeBron is himself and AD is healthy? Who's to say? Probably probably we lose that. But you have to remember that LeBron James is getting towards the end of his career and Anthony Davis is a notoriously injury-prone player. So those things happen in the playoffs. But what I was a little bit concerned about coming to playoffs was, of course, just the lack of experience. Besides Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, and Torrey Craig, who came halfway through the season. We had no playoff experience on the roster. And guys like Cameron Payne and Mikhail Bridges, guys that were huge for us in the regular season, I wasn't sure how their games were going to translate to the postseason, as well as DeAndre Ayton. I thought Ayton was going to be a big swing factor for us. Mm-hmm. And I was honestly impressed with how all three of those guys played. And it was part of the reason that we were able to continue our regular season success into the playoffs because all of those guys that were contributing in the regular season, they carried that over to the playoffs when for a few of them, I was worried that was going to be the case. So, Uh so of course, disappointing ending. And of course we did catch some breaks, but overall it would have to be a huge success, especially because Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, all proved that they can play on the biggest stage at the same level that they were able to in the regular season. That is true. That is true. If you're, if you're looking at how they played the young guys, specifically the internal development and where they continue to go. Yes. They did show that on the highest stage, they were able to perform Uh, looking at the Suns myself. I thought of them as like a solid four or five seed. I definitely thought they'd be one of the better teams in the West, but I didn't think they'd be they creme de la creme, you know, I mean, Utah was up front. I figured whoever was healthiest in the Western conference, would be number one um and utah and phoenix were neck and neck for there therefore the one and two although i did think you know lakers and clippers were obviously the better teams um in my mind but then come you know the playoffs the suns took care of business yes like you said lakers are hobbled even then the suns were kind of a better team at that state in time even if you know we we didn't have a healthy lebron we didn't have a a healthy anthony davis so you, you got those going along but you have to beat the teams in front of you and as Lakers fan, I can tell you, you know, we played Portland with um, a hobbled Portland team and a tired Damian Lillard. Then we played the Rockets with, you know, a, a hampered Russell Westbrook and a, and a smaller Houston team. And then, of course, we played the Nuggets. You know, like you play the teams that are in front of you. You know, you do what you can. Uh, that's what the Suns did. They took care of business. My hat goes off to them because that that that's 100 percent what it is. Um, with that being said. Yeah, I guess the, the finals was kind of disappointing. I figured after they got those first two that they could keep the pedal to the metal, and that was not the case. What do you think, observation-wise, about the finals? I mean, I wish I could get a little more nuanced than this, but at the end of the day, the team with the best player won. Yeah. And especially in game six, that was the case. I mean, we just had no answers for Giannis. 
he proved that if he's not the best player in the NBA, he definitely has to be in that top two or three conversation, especially hitting all those free throws when it mattered the most. Um, of course, uh, crazy game. I would I would have to say that Chris Paul was not quite himself during the playoffs. Um, he had wrist surgery right after the finals ended. So I do think that was a factor. But another factor was Drew Holiday's hounding defense on him. And just having those secondary creators and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to go alongside Giannis, besides the lack of size to deal with Giannis, I would say it was less of a fault for the Suns and more just the Bucks showing that they were the better, more deserving team with the best player. Just taking care of business. I agree. And, and yeah, he was Giannis was too dominant. You could see as he got healthier, the tide start to turn. Um, and then that last game, I mean, he went down 17-19 for the free throw line. 50-point game. I mean, you just got to tip your hat to that, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when he drops a 50-burger on your head when the stakes are the highest, there's really nothing else you can do besides just respect greatness and try to get it out again the next season. There you go. And that you know what? That is a perfect segue, uh, Ryan. You're natural here. Uh, let's go the offseason. You know, you got the, the Suns. At that point, you know, you keep your head down, but the way that it, the offseason moved, they didn't really have the time to even do that. They had to turn around and get right back to business. So uh, we know Phoenix is mostly running it back, uh, you know, bringing back Chris Paul, Cameron Payne, Frank Kaminsky, uh, losing Javon Carter, but bringing in Landry Shamit. Let's just start with the returned players. Uh, what do you think about, obviously, Chris Paul coming back and the contract he's on, as well as Cameron Payne and the relatively cheap contract he's on, and then, of course, Frank the Tank? Yeah, so Frank on the minimum, I mean, I kind of expected that to happen. Monty Long's locker room guys love him. I think that was going to happen from day one, so Mm -hmm. don't have to get into that one too much. The Chris Paul contract, Suns were getting clowned a little bit when it first came out, four for 120. And I I was a little bit queasy at that number, but I just said, you know, if we were going to bring him back, that's what it was going to take. The Knicks were going to throw a bag at him. The Pelicans opened up space for a point guard. Someone was going to pay him, so – I thought that it was expensive but reasonable. But then when it came out that the fourth year was completely non-guaranteed and the third year was only half guaranteed, then it goes from a four-year 120 contract to more like a three-year – or, excuse me, two-year 75 contract with a lot of flexibility and options on the back end. So I actually do love the contract that Chris Paul came back on as I was scared that it was going to go out longer into his older ages, closer to retirement. But now it leaves a lot of options for the Suns on the back end of that deal to either stretch him, trade him at a reasonable number, or just cut him after the third year where he's completely non-guaranteed. And the campaign contract, I thought, was one of the best contracts from the team side given out this free agency. Agreed. I'm, I mean, three years, $19 million, that's 6.3 annually and only 14.5 guaranteed. I mean, guys like TJ McConnell are getting close to $10 million a year. Campaign getting around $6 million a year when he proved that he can play on the highest stage when he was one of the best backup point guards in the league last season. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that is a distributor as well. He's going to get everyone else involved, and he's going to bring his role every night, come with energy every night. I was very surprised that they were able to lock him in on that contract, especially when he's still young. And I'm not saying it's going to be the case, but I could see him being a low-end starter caliber point guard down the line. So to get him for just about $6 million annually with not all of it guaranteed, I thought that was a great deal from the Suns' perspective. Definitely. I, well, the way you broke down that Chris Paul contract was masterfully done because you go and you look at it on its head, you're like, wow, that's kind of reckless. Even though you knew that if he didn't get it from Phoenix, somebody was going to give him some money. I mean, Chris Paul – just played a, a transcendent level of ball. With that being said, the way you broke it down, I mean, when you take it from that four-year deal to what it really could potentially be, I think it's fair for both sides. The potential, if he's playing up to worth his money's worth, he's going to get it. And if not, well, Phoenix will get off of it. And it works both both ways there. Uh, Frank Tank, like you said, legend, don't need to talk about him. <laughs> um, and then Cameron Payne, I agree. Like, you're getting him where he's kind of in his prime up to, what, age 29? Like, that's pretty good, especially for the type of point guard that he is, who's just starting to put it all together. And you're right, from a team-friendly perspective, I mean, I think 
campaign could have got some more in other teams, but he really wanted to show a little loyalty to the team that gave him the most uh, of a chance over the last couple of years. And for Phoenix, like, hey, you know, we want to, we have max extensions coming up down the pipeline for DeAndre Aiden and, and Mikel Bridges. So this helps us out remaining competitive while also keeping a pretty uh, reasonable price point. Yeah, man, exactly. I think Payne most likely could have gotten a more lucrative offer from a different team, but he wanted for to sure. reward the Suns for giving him a chance. And I also wanted to shout out another guy that we brought back was Abdel Nader for two years, $4 million, and the second year is actually a team option. So close to the minimum for a guy like Nader who, you know, every team in the league can't have enough combo forwards who can shoot and play hard on defense. So I thought that was a nice piece of business as well to lock him down for cheap. True that. If you're able to get that done, you have to do it. Um, I, I have to agree with you. That was a really solid piece of business there. Phoenix front office so far so good. Uh, let's talk about what else they did. And I guess that kind of leads to the next question that I wanted to ask you here, Ryan, just about the Suns offseason. Uh, how did you like the moves that Phoenix didn't make? It wasn't too much. Uh, you know, JaVel McGee is a guy uh, that I was, I'm really big on just Laker legend there, but first off, how'd you like the moves Phoenix did make? And also, did you have any hopes of your own coming into this off season? Yeah, man, as far as our additions, um, JaVale for 5 million, I thought that was solid for the regular season to fill that backup center role, which was one of our biggest weaknesses last season, mm-hmm. especially once Dario Sarge went down and it was a torn ACL, his injury. So he's most likely going to miss the entirety of this season as well. So yeah. I thought bringing JaVale in was a good piece of business. And Shamit for Javon in 29, I think that's just another case of the Suns just trying to get as many playable role players in and as much shooting as possible as we are in win-now mode. So to be able to get a player that is at least guaranteed to be in the rotation for the 29th pick in the draft and Javon, who still has two years left on his deal, mm-hmm. I thought that was a solid move. However, overall, I was a little bit disappointed in their use of resources just because, one, they lost Torrey Craig, and I don't feel like they really replaced him. Craig was a guy that at least could give us playoff minutes and we could count on to be a part of that playoff rotation. Again, can't have enough wings that can play defense. And with JaVale and Shamit, I think they certainly make us a better regular season team but I'm not sure if either of those guys will be able to crack the postseason rotation, maybe in the first round, second round, but once it gets more down the line and the rotations get shorter, I'm not sure either of those guys have the complete game to be able to play on the highest level, especially with some of their limitations. Shame it with defense, of course. However, the Suns do still have an open roster spot. A couple of the names that are being floated out there are Paul Millsap, who's still like out that. there, Kevin Love, if he were to get bought out, or possibly a trade that are that's floating around Suns Lamb would be Dario's contract plus Jalen Smith for either Larry Nance Jr. or for Thaddeus Young. So if they're able to use that last roster spot to fill the Craig role, and to get someone that can for sure play on the highest level in the rotation, then I'll be happy with how they use their resources. But as of now, with JaVale and Shannon, as well as Alfred Payton on the minimum, being the only new guys that we brought in, my only concern is that once the rotations get shorter and shorter, those guys are going to be adversaries of that. And we did not, we were not able to replace the wing spot that Torrey Craig filled. I get you on that. I agree. I think that he was a big loss. I'm not sure why he wasn't brought back. That was one that was definitely curious to me. Um, the Alfred Payton signing was also a weird one. Like he did not play particularly well in Phoenix when he came over a couple of years ago. And he hasn't played particularly well since then. So I don't understand it really. Um, I mean, I guess the front office sees something in him that everyone else misses. Um, especially if you watch the Knicks with him at the helm. Um but yeah, you're right. Like some of the depth pieces weren't really that good in terms of depth. Like if they get a Paul Millsap, that definitely helps a little bit, especially when it comes to that big position. He immediately kind of comes right in the mix, you know, with the Jalen Smith, um, with with the JaVel McGee in terms of the backups, um, and and probably even a starter. We're talking about backup, just in terms of the impact he can have. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that as well as they didn't retain their own free agents, when it came to acquiring others in the market, they could have done a little bit of a better job. Um, 
of those options that you mentioned, though, which one would you rather see come to fruition? Ideally, I think Larry Nance Jr. is everything that we're looking for in that spot. It would be tough to part with Jalen Smith before mm-hmm. really knowing what he's going to be. I like him I do in summer think, league. Yeah, he did play well in summer league, which is expected from a summer league or from a second year guy. Mm-hmm. But I think Nance gives us a lot of flexibility with him being able to play the four, being a pretty good passer for a big man, but also being able to play in that backup five spot if Aiton were to get in foul trouble or get played off the four in certain matchups. His switchability. His versatility on offense, as well as his passing, which is a Monty Williams staple. I think that would be the perfect fit on our timeline to be able to come in here, be our backup four, but also be able to play up if needed. I get you on that. That's someone you're right. The versatility there could present itself really well for Phoenix, a team that kind of needs some of that, especially down the stretch of a long season, uh, you know, playing one of your older guys in Chris Paul um, and others as well, who, you know, just vets. I mean, you have a lot of young talent in this group. For sure. Um, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you always have at least somebody to spell them or at least be in the area. So totally with you on that. Um, I guess that leads to my next question here, Ryan. Um, in terms of their outlook moving forward, where do you see Phoenix? I, I mean, the West is still kind of wide open, depending on how you feel about Utah. Um, the Lakers totally revamped their roster. The Clippers are going to have to deal with the loss of Kawhi Leonard for at least a chunk of the season. Um, Dallas is in the area. Golden State's revamped. You know, uh, missing Denver's around, even though they're missing Jamal Murray for most of the year. And the West is still kind of in my mind up for grabs. So where do you see Phoenix landing um, amongst the trees in the West? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, the West is going to be tough, going to be stronger than it was last year with all the injuries in the playoffs. But at the same time, I can't really point to any of those upper echelon West teams and say that any of them got substantially better this offseason. So I think they're going to be pretty similar level to last year without those breaks in the playoffs. So I would expect a similar outcome, maybe an earlier exit, just because of those breaks in the playoffs. But the biggest swing factors for me are, one, what are we going to do with that open roster spot? Because as the roster stands right now, I still think that we have trouble combating size. And when you're going against the likes of Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Nicole Jokic in the West playoff picture, or if we're able to get to the other side of the bracket again, Kevin Durant, Giannis, how are we going to be able to deal with those guys? So I'm hoping our final roster spot will go towards someone that can help combat that problem. And the other swing factor for me is going to be the development of DeAndre Ayton. Devin Booker, I feel like he's still growing, of course, but we kind of have an idea of what kind of player he's going to be. Mm -hmm. Same with Mikhail Bridges. I think if Ayton is able to take a leap forward, even half a step forward, that could change the dynamic of a team from being Chris Paul and Devin Booker and a bunch of really good role players who play hard defense and can score on their own and space the floor. Go from that to Booker, Paul, and Aiton. Those are our three. You have to deal with DA inside and be able to plan for him ahead of time. He took a leap next season. If he's able to take another leap this season going into his fifth year, fourth year, excuse me, I think that changes the dynamic of where the Suns rank amongst the West. But like I said, depending on how you feel about Russell Westbrook, I know how you feel. (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan (laughs) with the Lakers fit. And with the Kawhi Leonard injury, I don't see which team in the West on the top increase their chances much more than last year apart from the Warriors. Honestly, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of these teams each have things that are question marks at best. You know, I could say, okay, I like the way the Lakers fit, healthy LeBron, healthy AD, you know, go all that. Also, did you hear that they uh, disrespected LeBron again? He picked up that Wash King handle. You know it's about to be a monster up in here, right? LeBron is so great at creating (laughs) fake beef to motivate himself. (laughs) He definitely is, though. Wash King, man. Last time he was using that label, he won the whole thing. I'm just saying. Just saying. But no, aside from who is calling LeBron washed? Have you ever heard anyone say that in discourse? No. I I listen. 
as a as an ardent Lakers fan, I haven't. Trust me, I've wanted to just to give LeBron a reason. Like, yeah, man, they're calling you washed, but it's like someone saying, "Yeah, Corbin, they're calling you a loser." When no one's even calling anyone anything. Like, all right, man, this this rich. Yeah, I can see if you like misinterpreted it or you know misheard, <laughs> but no, he he just he just made it up. Um, hey, but hey, man, if that's what's keeping him going, then he's got that last dance mentality, then we'll just let him rock. I mean, exactly. He takes it personally. And like like we said, last time he took it personally, it worked out well for the Lakers. So I'm sure they would like more of that. But but I know what you're saying, basically, about just the, the, the Lakers and other teams being just kind of wide open. Like there isn't a, a set um, favorite, if you will. Um, and yeah, I guess as we're feeding some comfortably come in, they have the continuity. You know, they kept all their major guys. They know what it takes. I think they have a little bit of an edge coming in because of how the season ended the year before. So you look at that, and I think, yeah, I'll, I'll put the Lakers. I'm going to say comfortably top three. What do you think? Yeah, especially for the regular season. I don't see any reason why their formula from last year shouldn't be able to translate again. It's just going to come down to the playoffs. If, if LeBron and AD are themselves, it's probably a different story. If Kawhi Leonard comes back healthy and the Clippers are firing on all cylinders, it's probably a different story. But besides those teams, I don't see any other team in the West that you can comfortably put above the Suns at this stage. I'm right there with you. I have to agree. I think that where they are is the creme de la creme right now. Um, and that's just the way it is. So I'm, I'm, I, I agree completely. Um, I guess this kind of leads to um, the last – okay. One last question, just to close on Phoenix before I go to our last, last question. But for Phoenix, finals or not? <laughs> really put me on the spot here. If I know, I me, know. I had to. If you're making me predict, I'm going to say they win a round or two and then lose to the Lakers or Clippers. Okay, That's where so my heart's at. Finals. Or if they meet them earlier, maybe then. I hope that's not the case. I hope they're able to build upon what happened this season. But in my head, even if they do build upon what happened this season, Booker takes another level, Aiton takes another level. They're an even better team than last year. They're still not going to have the same fortune in the playoffs that they had this year, which could ultimately result in them taking a step back results-wise, even if they are able to improve as a team. So that's the tricky spot that they're in. Of course, last year was an aberration in a few different ways. I hope I'm wrong, but if you're putting me on the spot like you are making me predict, <laughs> I say I say that one of the LA teams will bounce them. I feel it. All roads lead to LA. There it is. I had to I had to give it to you uh, just because I know you give the honest pulse on how you feel there, and I like it, especially Lakers fan. We have a good we have a good shot. But um, <laughs> thank you, man, for coming on and giving help with, with the Suns, kind of giving us a up to speed look at where they are and, and what to look forward to with them this upcoming season. Um, what I do, my first time guest, and you know, you are you are here, man. I think hopefully the first of many. But I have to ask, what your top five favorite guys are? And when I say that, I don't mean like you know LeBron, Kobe, Jordan, unless those guys are your top five. I just mean like your top five favorite guys to watch, guys who like you'd rather play a game with, like guys who are on your squad. I keep my five as my uh, wallpaper on my phone. I run through it every time I bring it up. I got Russell Westbrook. I got Terry Rozier, who just got that big contract. I got Monte Ellis, Latrell Sprewell, and Michael Beasley. Listen, this group's going to get buckets. They're going to be loud. They're going to be explosive. Are they going to play defense? Probably not. If I play with them, am I getting the ball? Probably not. But they're my all-vibe squad. And so I ask you, Ryan, what is your all-vibe squad? All right, well – I'm, I'm going to just have to go with LeBron first, but I'm going to use that as, like, my free space on the bingo board, you know? So that doesn't count towards my five. Okay. So I'm just going to throw LeBron out there. <laughs> he has the connector. I feel it. I respect. So I'll let you get that. For me, one of my favorite skills, or I'd say my favorite skill, actually, to watch on a basketball court is passing. Period. I, I'd say that if you see a player is a cerebral passer, Mm-hmm. that often translates to them having a high basketball IQ in other aspects of the game. So for me, first guy I ever fell in love with was Rajon Rondo in those early Celtics teams. That was when I was first coming into being a big basketball fan. Rondo was the guy that stood out to me. I just loved the way he played, got his teammates involved, and didn't let his weaknesses hold him back. Mm-hmm. So from there, I kind of became a fan of those Celtics teams, and I just loved the intensity of KG. 
I mean, who won it? I mean, every team wants a guy that plays like that, leads by example, leaves his heart out on the floor every single night. So I'm going to start with Rondo and KG. And my other three is really you're going to see just those passers. One, Steve Nash. Two, Jason Williams. And three, Nikola Jokic. So I got a little bit of smaller guys on my squad. I'm running that three-point guy lineup with Rondo, Nash, and Jay Will. But then we got KG and Jokic holding it down down low. I think that's going to be quite the team, and we can uh, take down your Hooper squad. Oh, wow. You would be so bold. Yeah, you probably would. I mean, y'all probably be as small as y'all are play better defense than my team does. <laughs> but I like it. It's really cool. I think not only get a feel for, you know, get people's favorite players, but I think it's also like a look or a little bit of insight into their type of, of style. What do they like watching? I mean, for me, like as a fan, you know, just loving basketball as it is, you know, all the game intrigues me. But like as a fan, man, get the ball in the bucket, have some personality, and you got me on your team. You know what I mean? Warts yeah, and all. Exactly. So. And a lot of that, uh-huh. a lot of that, I feel comes like from how we were as players growing up too. Like for me, I was usually one of the smaller guys on the court. So what's going to be my standout skill? I wanted it to be passing. So I was watching guys like Jason Williams, Rondo, and Nash trying to get better at that aspect for my game because that was one of the only things I could excel at at my size and skill level at that time. But we don't got to get into that. I'll let you close us <laughs> out here, Corbin. We'll say that for the next time, Ryan. Next next show you're on, you will be on another one. We'll go and do our uh, scouting reports on our high school selves. Yeah, sounds good. I, I don't know if you want to watch too much of that film, but uh, maybe I can send you <laughs> some sometime and you can go over it. Listen, once in a while, looking the vault isn't such a bad thing. <laughs> but, man, Ryan, thank you, bro, for coming on. Um, really appreciate you not only giving you insight on summer league and obviously working with you at sports business classroom, but also just giving us a lowdown of Phoenix. Really appreciate it. Um, aside from finding you on Twitter at Wattel Wattel, where else can people kind of stay tuned around for you? Yes, sir. Uh, at Wattel Wattel is going to be my at for all social media platforms. Um, anyone who's interested in the sports card game at all, I got my Instagram there at Ryan's Cardboard. That's one of the things I'm doing to help pay the bills at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, just wanted to say one thing uh, with this guy, Corbin, you know, this positive attitude that you guys all hear, that's not lip service. That's not just for the pod. This guy is a good, genuine dude, and he's doing this because he loves the game of basketball and wants to share his energy and his thoughts with you all. So continue to support Corbin and his endeavors, and he's going to pay it back to you in the only way he knows how with his energy and his knowledge bro bro that thank you wow (laughs) like you i really appreciate that my brother thank you so much i mean i definitely try here and i i I have no words that wow thank you thank you man uh listen y'all y'all heard the man i didn't say it's just coming from my buddy here um but wow thank you for that and listen check out ryan's cardboard uh dude I just became aware of that this past weekend. A lot of cool stuff going on. A lot of events coming up. Definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, he already said, follow him on Watel Watel on all social media. So do that as well. Um, for myself, you know where it's at. It's on Twitter at Corbin NBA. There's a hoop ball presentation. So check out hoop ball again, hoop dash ball.com on Twitter at hoop ball tweets. By the time y'all hear this, this will be Friday going into Saturday. So enjoy y'all's weekend. And for Ryan, for myself, we frosty, y'all stay frosty, and we'll, I'll talk to y'all real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.